The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Well, this new series that we're starting, a little mini-series, we'll start today and go through Easter, is about the life of Jonah. We're calling it the unlikely messenger, a study in the life of Jonah. So if you have a Bible this morning, you can go ahead and find the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament, a very ancient text near the end of the Old Testament. If you can't find it, then you can look in the very front where it lists where everything is and you'll be able to find it there, hopefully. This is an ancient story about a Jewish prophet, and his name was Jonah. And the story in a nutshell goes like this. God comes to Jonah and he says, I would like you to go to the Ninevites and give them a message. And so Jonah hears God's appeal to do this, and he decides he does not want to do that. And he says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. And so he instead gets on a ship And the ship is set to sail for Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction. So he's ticked off about this assignment he's given, gets on the ship, takes off with these sailors. And not too long in the journey, a huge storm erupts in the ocean. And uh, it's, it's serious. They're throwing everything off the ship. And all the sailors are screaming and think that they're going to die. And they, they, through a series of, of, of checking, they find out that, that this is probably caused by somebody who was angering the gods. And so Jonah says, oh, it's me. I serve the God who is in charge of the sea and the whole universe. And so I'm running away from him. It's my fault. Throw me overboard and you guys will be fine. And so they, uh, they agree to that, which is weird, but uh, they throw him overboard and... Uh, and instantly stops, the wind stops, everything goes calm, and they were relieved. And well, Jonah gets swallowed up by a whale, and he rides inside that whale for three days, and then eventually he has a change of heart. The whale vomits him up on the shore, not too far from Nineveh. And he agrees to go to the town of Nineveh. God asks him again. He says, yes, I'll do it this time. He goes there. He gives a message to the city of Nineveh, and then the city responds to his message. That's, in a nutshell, the story that we're talking about, we'll be talking about for the next three weeks. The reason we called it the unlikely messenger is because uh, Jonah was probably the most unlikely choice that God would have for this particular assignment. Webster's defines unlikely as holding little prospect of success. Why does God do that? Because it seems like God does that quite a bit. Why does he give a message or a call to the most unlikely people? People that you would never choose. Now, somebody like Bill Hybels, I get that choice. I mean, here's a guy, if you don't know him, here's a guy who's brilliant, higher than average IQ, very, very handsome, very fit, very talented. He can lead worship. He can speak. In fact, when he begins to open his mouth, his mouth, the whole place just sort of calms down and is soothed. I mean, this, 
This guy is amazing. When he started his church the first Sunday, they had 700 people. Now they have somewhere around 35,000 people that attend his church every morning. I was there on a, on a Sunday morning. They received the offering in 60-gallon garbage cans. You can imagine. 60 gallons, huge garbage cans they're carrying throughout the church because they collect a million dollars every Sunday morning. They have armed guards and uh, armored trucks out in front of the church to carry all those buckets of money out. It's weird. But I get a guy like that. I understand that you see somebody like that, you say, okay, that makes sense. I can see why God would call a guy like that. He is equipped. He is prepared. He has everything that he'll ever need. But God doesn't always do that. Sometimes the people that he selects for a call or for a mission are the most unlikely people. I think about Noah. Noah was considered the, um, the ultimate idiot and fool of his day. People ridiculed him. Here was a guy who was building a massive ship for animals. And it had never rained before. And there was no water, no big body of water. So he's got just in dry land, this massive ship, and he was going to fill it with animals. Everybody laughed at him. They said, you're a complete nut. This is ridiculous. What about uh, Moses? who was not an eloquent speaker. He was not a person who felt comfortable speaking to large groups of people. And yet God said to him, I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh. I want you to speak to my people. How about Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. In fact, Rahab obeyed the call that God gave her, the message that he gave her. She obeyed that and she was included in the genealogy of Jesus. If you look in Matthew chapter 1, you see her name listed there as somebody who is honored in that list of great people. Gideon, David, Ruth, Samson, and the list goes on and on and on. All these people who are so unfit, unlikely to succeed in this calling that God has for them. Why does he do it? Well, God doesn't come right out and make it obvious and just say, okay, this is why I'm doing this. But he does give us some clues. One clue is found in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. It says this. This is Paul talking about a thorn in his flesh, a weakness, a hindrance. And God responds to him after he's pleaded with God to take it away. And God says, my power works best in weakness. So now I am glad, he says, to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's something that God delights in when an unqualified person answers the call to be a messenger. Jonah was definitely an unlikely choice. First of all, prophets of his day did not give their message in person. 
They didn't give it face to face. I mean, they had something to, a prophecy to give over a nation or a group of people. They would make that declaration and then it would be delivered to those people. They wouldn't go in person. In this case, it was very clear that God wanted him to go personally and give the message face to face. He was literally to travel to Nineveh and give the message. Jonah was a Jew. He was a Jewish prophet and he was living in a time when the whole world had been conquered by the Assyrians. And Nineveh was their capital, their capital city, and they had conquered his nation. And so he wasn't feeling too friendly toward the Assyrians. I think you could think of that like God speaking to an African-American and say, I'd like you to go into Idaho and speak to the white supremacists up there. That's probably how Jonah felt about what God had asked him to do. He hated the Assyrians. In fact, he didn't even believe that they could be saved. They were Gentiles. They were not Jews. God doesn't love anyone who's not a Jew. You see? They believe that salvation was for the nation of Israel and the rest of them, no, you're tough luck. And so why would God be loving and kind and reach out to the Assyrians? It didn't make any sense to him. Assyria, Nineveh was the capital. If you left your home this morning and you locked your front door, you can thank the Assyrian Empire. They invented locks and keys. The Assyrians invented paved roads. They were the first culture to come up with a a system of tracking time, keeping time. They invented the postal system and libraries. They invented indoor plumbing. Now, wasn't it interesting that the Assyrians around 600 invented indoor plumbing, and yet it didn't come to the United States until the 1800s? And Nineveh was located in modern-day Iraq, a town you might have heard of. Mosul was of some note recently. But today, it's just ruins. Christians there responded to Jesus and responded to the gospel and faith. And today, you can see that there are Assyrian Christians in Mosul. Jonah was vastly inferior to the, to the Ninevites. I mean, this was a major metropolitan city, one of the largest cities of his day. And he was a little tiny town called Gath, is where he was from. Gath was about 500 miles south of Nineveh. 500 miles. I mean, that's a long distance in today's world, but even Longer back then when you're traveling by foot or by camel. And the message that God gave him wasn't that great either. I mean, the message was, go to Nineveh and tell them that if they don't turn from their wicked ways, they will be destroyed. And they've got 40 days. Can you imagine if you showed up at your office on Monday morning and shared that the company's wickedness has come to the forefront of the Lord and will be destroyed in 40 days. I wonder what kind of a reception you would get. 
there was a very real possibility here that these people would be offended by this message. They wouldn't be too happy. Maybe they would ignore him, or maybe they would just kill him. But God calls us anyway. God calls us to do things that are beyond ourselves. As I study through the scriptures, and I've been doing this for years and years and years, I have never found a single place. I've never even heard of a single occasion where God has come to somebody and said, I would like you to be a messenger. I would like you to do this for me. And it'll be the easiest thing you've ever done. You'll have no problems. You'll be able to do this in your sleep. In fact, it's always the exact opposite. God comes to us and he says, I would like you to give this message to this person. And it's going to be impossible. They're surely to reject you. They might not listen to you. They might hate you. They might shut you down and say, hey, don't talk to me about religion. But God calls us to people and places that others would say that is sure to fail. You shouldn't do it. Nineveh was the greatest city of the day and time was running out. God had set the clock on the city. He loved Nineveh. He saw what was going on there. But he had said, listen, time's running out. Here's a clock. It's set 40 days. And in 40 days, if you don't respond, the city will be destroyed. If you look at chapter 3, you can see this. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. He said, get up and go to the great city of of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. So the clock was ticking on Nineveh. And time was running out. Do you know that everything has a clock attached to it? Everything? You do? Do you know that humanity has a clock attached to it? That humanity has a time span? In fact, every person has a time limit. Right in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God said, hey, from now on, man will no longer live past 120. And Genesis 6, 3, and every time I mentioned that, somebody said, oh, what, 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 what? there's some lady in Alabama lived 122. (laughs) Well, the people who were alive at that time were living from 700 to 900 years. And when God said, that he set that number 120. I don't think we should focus on the difference between 120 and 122, but on 120 and 700. And God said, listen, from now on, people are not going to live that long. There is a clock. Heaven and earth have a time limit. 
In Revelation 21, in verse 1, it says, Heaven and earth will pass away. This earth as we know it will be no more. Heaven as it exists now will be no more. It will be destroyed. The clock is ticking on the earth. Did you know that a bank will not loan on your home unless you can prove that it's going to last longer than the term of your loan? So your home, if you have a 30-year mortgage, they want to make sure your home's going to last for at least 30 years. There's a time frame. Churches have a time frame. Our church is ticking down to being closed. Every single church that was started by the disciples has disappeared, is gone. They don't exist today. And you can delay the inevitability of that and have surges of growth and surges of change and revival and so on and so forth, but it is still ticking down to being no more. Everything you own has a clock on it. Everything. Everything in your refrigerator probably has a stamp on it put there by somebody of a time when it will expire. If you think about this, about your own life, you are in the process of dying this morning. You are working your way to the grave. What a depressing thought. They call it the cosmic law of impermanence. And it simply means this, that everything that has a beginning has an end. I just sounded like Smith on The Matrix, didn't I? <laughs> Everything that has a beginning has an end, Neo. And for all of you who don't know what The Matrix is, you just thought, he's weird. What is he doing? A time is running out on everything. Except a few things. Time isn't running out on God. God has no beginning. So he has no end. God doesn't exist in time. He exists outside of time. And you wonder why, why it is that God sees everything from beginning to end? Because he simply is not affected by time. He can look into time and see its full length. He can operate in time and outside of time. God isn't affected by that. The Bible when God allowed for the scriptures to be written, he said, my word shall never pass away. The angels were created, angels and demons were created to be eternal, to live forever. And the souls of mankind are eternal as well. Our souls will live forever. So our time on earth has a clock to it. And it's running out. You remember the last time you were at a funeral? And I don't know why it is, but usually that's the only time we really think about these things and about time. And Because death is so final. I mean, it's just over. When somebody passes on, there's just that weight, that sense of finality to it. That you will never, ever know them again the way you did. It's done. And you sit and you, you say songs and we say good things about them. 
But every single person there is thinking about their own life and comes into touch for maybe just a moment about how the clock is ticking on your own life. Time is not on your side. Your time on earth is limited, but your soul will live forever. And where your soul exists forever is determined by Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. What a definitive statement that is. The most important decision you will ever make in your whole life is what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Who you believe he is. Is he the son of God and the God of your life? Or is he something else? And that right there determines a person's destiny in eternity. Will you spend eternity with God in heaven, in the new heaven? Or will it be in hell? Maybe we would live differently if we could see our clock, you know? Maybe if on your arm there was a clock and it was had a readout and it showed you you've got, you know, 69,000 hours left or something like that. And you could see it ticking away and maybe that would change how you would live because you could kind of plan it out and you would know the day and the time and, and so things would be different. Maybe you look down and you've got one hour left. <laughs> Oops. You know, and people who have these near-death experiences get a glimpse of that, and it changes their thinking and their priorities. And they think, maybe I should do things differently because life is so short. But the problem is, although we know the clock is ticking, we don't know how much time is left. Nobody knows. And death is final. Have you noticed that if you miss your flight, they don't turn around and come back? If you miss the bus, they don't do a loop around the neighborhood and wait for you and then come back and pick you up. When it leaves, if you're not there, you missed out. We did a survey in our church recently, a needs survey, to find out what the dominant needs are of our church. We found that 45% of our congregation has friends, family members, and coworkers that have not yet crossed that threshold of faith and made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. 45%. Nineveh was a great city, and God was intimately involved in that city. It was not a Jewish city, yet God had his eye on the city. He knew what was going on there. He was aware of the spiritual climate of the city. We see that in chapter 4. Then the Lord said to Jonah, You feel sorry about this plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people 
living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? You see, God loved the Assyrians. God cared about the Assyrians. That must have been somewhat of a shock to a Jewish nation. That God would have a love and a compassion for the Assyrians. You see, Jonah wasn't surprised by God's love. He was aware of that. He knew that God was loving. What he was surprised by is that God would extend it to the Assyrians. But their time was running out. The clock was ticking. They had 40 days left. And if there was no response, God was going to allow this city to be destroyed. Well, we know by looking at the story that they did respond. And God did not destroy the city. The city was eventually destroyed. It was taken over by a whole other kingdom and destroyed. And as I said, you can go there today. But this kind of story, I believe, is designed to get us thinking about our time. To get us thinking about our city, about Puyallup and Tacoma. And to really understand that God is looking at the city. That God cares about the spiritual climate of where we live. And that the clock is ticking. How much time is left for you and your family? Maybe you're down farther on that scale near the end. Maybe you're at the beginning. How much time is left to do something about it? How much time is left for Tacoma and Puyallup till we get to a point where God says, well, enough is enough. God is calling unlikely messengers this morning. You and me. I think there are many reasons why we would be an unlikely choice. That God would choose us to speak to our friends and neighbors. We know that this brings great joy to the Lord. That he enjoys giving you a message that is difficult for you to deliver that causes you to rely on Him, that causes you to respond with faith. It's not just easy. It's not just something you can do just naturally, but it requires great faith. And as you respond to the Lord in faith, it brings Him great joy and delight to see you become His messenger. It brings great joy, I believe, to the Lord when you're at your place of employment and you become a light to the coworkers and friends that are there at your office. And you share your faith. You share the hope that you have in Jesus. So this morning, I'm asking you to look at your own life and think, How much time do I have left? We've created a little handout for you, and it's just sort of a little gimmick thing. It's called Math That Counts. 
The average life expectancy of a person in America is 76. Subtract the age of the person you're trying to reach. And that gives you a number. Now we don't know if that's the number they have. Nobody knows how much time they have. Some people believe that they are unqualified. You look at your own life and you think, well, I, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing different about me. I have a lot of the same problems that my friends do. I'm not really that special. I, 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 I do not consider myself a spiritual messenger. But remember this. God delights in calling those kind of people. So I want to ask you this morning to respond to the Scriptures. You see, if this was just, you know, a nice talk about faith, then it's no different than a play or a movie or a show or a concert. You have good music and a set and somebody talking. You might as well just go and enjoy that. What makes this different, this experience right here this morning, is that the Scriptures confront us. The Scriptures demand a response. The Scriptures demand a change. It demands you to do something about it. A response, a, an action. And so this morning, I would like you to consider responding to the Holy Spirit about who He would like you to be a messenger to. And maybe it's just as simple as a prayer. It's saying, Dear God, I'm available. Is there anyone that you want me to speak to? Is there anyone that you want me to invite to our church for Easter? And if God brings somebody to your mind... You dare not run to Tarshish. You better not say, no, I won't do it and take off in the other direction because what will happen? <laughs> you asked the question, God gave you the answer, and now if you run from him, you will encounter a great storm or something to divert you back to it. But if God says nothing to you, you ask him, who do I speak to? He says nothing. Well, then you're off the hook. You're off the hook. For those of you who are off the hook and God says to you, no, there's nobody you need to talk to, we have another job for you. <laughs> you can be a table leader. <laughs> you can be involved in serving a meal. I mean, I'll, I'll give you this promise. I'll go one step farther than what Matt said that if you come to the 9 o'clock service on Easter Sunday, we will provide a full meal for you. How's that? Is that a great deal? You come to the 9 o'clock, I promise there'll be a whole meal for you, just for you. We will make it, have it prepared if you're here at 9 o'clock, okay? Because what's going to happen is most people will come at 11. And if they do, you will be sitting in their seat. So we already like you, we already know you, so we'd rather have you sit in a seat at 9 o'clock. And if you do that, we'll give you a meal. How's that? 
Part of the problem is our faith. Like Jonah, we just don't want to believe that if we share that kind of a message, they will respond right. But you may be surprised. Studies say that 80% of the people who are asked to go to an Easter service say yes. Isn't that shocking? Now, they, sometimes they don't show up, but they at least say yes. <laughs> They're pleasant about it. <laughs> 80%. Would you open your heart this morning? Open your heart. Open your heart. Soften your heart and say to God, who do you want me to be a messenger to?